We prefer the comforts of the status quo. What often drives our reluctance to change is fear. Fear of the unknown that comes with change. But if God is good, and God is constant as much as change is constant, then we can experience the goodness of God in the midst of change, right? Whatever the change may be, whatever the unknowns may be, if God is with us and we are with Him, what or who then shall we fear? There are several unknowns about our current leadership transition. We don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know who our next pastor will be or what kind of leader he will be. We don't know what the full impact of my transition will be for our church or for my family. But here's what we do know. Our God is a very present help in time of need. That's what the Bible says. Wherever God guides, He always provides. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Wherever God guides, He always provides. We sang about Him last Sunday night. We make a miracle work, promise keepers, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You hear that song? Do you believe it or you just sing it because it sounds good? I believe it. believe it? Today I want to begin a four-part series titled Lessons for Leaders and Followers in Transition. Lessons for Leaders and Followers in Transition. This will be my last series of messages as your pastor. It's a sobering thought. There's so much that I could say, but the million dollar question is, what should I say? Thanks to those of you who've been praying, fasting with me on Wednesdays. I believe God is hearing and beginning to answer our collective prayers and honoring our fasting. He's given me this series title and these texts and messages that we all need to hear. Please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 27. The Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 27, beginning in verse 12. Numbers 27, beginning in verse 12. This text contains one of the best and classic cases of leadership transitions among God's people. Verse 12, we begin. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain in the Abiram range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribah, Kadesh in the desert of Zin. And Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community, a man to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. 
So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. On the night before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to a packed house inside a Masonic temple. It was his last public speech in which he famously said, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but that's all right. It doesn't matter to me now. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. End quote. Now many people don't realize that he had this very Old Testament text in mind when God sent Moses on that mountaintop to look over into the promised land before he took him up to heaven. Dr. King had a prophetic sense of his life. Like Moses, the prophetic sense was that he would, his life would be cut short and that he may not experience life in the promised land of America even after his long struggle for civil rights. But he also had a sense of peace in his heart and his mind because this was God's doing. This was God's timing and he had already seen the promised land with eyes of faith. Now I'm very intimately aware of the glorious history of this great church made glorious only by God's amazing grace at the work in and through its founding pastor, Jim Queen, and the small church plant, the Faithful Saints. I've heard many stories of how the church grew and flourished under the leadership of our second pastor, Tom Maluga. These two pastors could hardly be more different from each other, and yet God used them to accomplish different aspects of church growth and development. As a third pastor and the first African-American senior pastor, I'm humble of how God has used me and my family in the past 14 plus years. Amen. Having met our first two pastors, Jim and Tom, and heard so many stories of their lives and ministries, I know that I am also very different than both of them. And yet God chose to use me during my tenure here in my generation. While their assignment may be finished here, and mine is quickly coming to an end as senior pastor, I'm so encouraged, encouraged to remember that God's mission is not finished until Christ returns. 
mission may have ended. My mission here as pastor is coming to an end. But God's mission is not done until Christ returns. A change in leadership does not necessarily mean a change in mission. Not when it comes to God's church. The new leader may have a new vision. He may assess our core values and lead this body to add or replace some of those. He may change some of the methodology to accomplish the mission, but the mission of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is to go into all the world and make disciples to evangelize the lost and to teach them to obey him. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So if change is the only constant in this world besides God and his mission, his gospel, then what can we learn as leaders and followers that will help us make it safely through the pending transition? We've already read our texts from the Old Testament book of Numbers. This is a historical account of the children of Israel, some two million children, who are all descendants of Abraham and Sarah. You might recall Abraham and Sarah had moved down to Egypt with their boys and their families because of the famine in the land of Canaan. You remember, young Joseph was sold into slavery to, to the Egyptians, and he ended up in the palace as ruler of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. But when that good Pharaoh died and the new Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph, the Israelites were persecuted and cried out to God for deliverance. And God raised up a Jewish leader named Moses who grew up in that mean Pharaoh's palace, but he left his privileged place in the Egyptian royal family and he went back to his people. And one day while taking care of his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness, God spoke to him through a burning bush and called him to be the great leader of the Israeli exodus from Egyptian slavery. But we all should know that Moses was a reluctant leader. God had to really work hard to convince Moses to take the job. Can you imagine the super hard task that it was to lead two million people on foot across an Arabian wilderness into the promised land? Men, women, children, old people, teenagers, Lord have mercy. Can you imagine? My worst day in ministry would probably seem like a sunny, warm day on the golf course to Moses. Well, after 40 grueling years going around in circles in the Arabian desert, a trip that should have really only taken about 40 days, took them 40 years because of doubt and disobedience and rebellion. Moses finally makes it to the border of the promised land and says, ah, we made it. We finally made it, y'all. I can't wait to have my fill of that land flowing with milk and honey. But God says, no, not you. Not you, Moses. You disobeyed me before the people. 
You lost faith in me, and in your anger you struck the rock when I told you to speak to the rock. Therefore, your punishment is that you will not make it into the promised land. Can you believe it? I know y'all sitting there going like, really? Really, God? It's like that? Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Moses said, can I at least see it? Let me just see it. I'm not going to be able to go in it. God says, sure, go on up the mountain, get an eyeful. You can go window shopping for all the milk and honey you want. But you're coming home after that. I'm bringing you home to heaven, Moses. Your brother Aaron is waiting for you because he didn't get to go up there either. He didn't get to see it. Can you believe it? Some of you hearing this exchange between God and Moses for the first time, and maybe you're, you haven't read it in a while, and you're thinking, like a mean, judgmental type. Well, God isn't mean, but He is the judge of the universe. Because He is the holy God and creator of the universe. He earned that title, and there is none like Him. So deal with it. He's God all by Himself. And he makes decisions by his own good will and pleasure. Moses understood that. So Moses did not argue with God. He didn't whine about fairness. He accepted God's decision and knew that God was right. He's always right. First lesson for us to learn is that the Lord God leads his leaders as they lead his followers. The Lord God leads his leaders as they lead his followers. It's the first lesson. You can see that in principle in Numbers 27, 12 to 14. It was God who had called Moses to lead. It was God who equipped Moses to lead. It was God who anointed and appointed Moses to lead his people. The Lord God leads his leaders as they lead his people. Now to be clear, it was God's people who cried out to him in prayer, begging for a leader to rescue them from the wicked hands of that new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. But it was God who called, equipped, anointed, appointed Moses to lead his people. So understand that. Whenever there's a leadership transition, understand that it is God who raises up leaders, anoints, equips, appoints them to lead his people. Not you. Second lesson, number two, the Lord God removes his leaders even while they're leading his people. The Lord God removes his leaders even while they are leading his people. In verses 12 to 14, we see clearly that it was God's idea to punish both Moses and his brother Aaron for their rebellion against him and remove them from leadership. It was God's will that both of them be prohibited from entering into the very promised land that God chose for them to lead the people to. 
leaders did in putting up with God's stiff-necked people and rebellious people for 40 long years in that Arabian wilderness, you would think that at least they get to go into the promised land. The very land that God chose them to lead his people into, right? That just makes logical sense to us finite human beings. But how many of you know that our ways are not God's ways? And oftentimes our will is not God's will. Moses got to see it, but he couldn't go in. Aaron didn't even get to see it because of their sin of disobedience. Listen, as sure as God calls and equips and anoints and appoints his leaders to lead his people, he will also discipline and remove his leaders even while they are leading his people. And it doesn't matter how well loved and respected and revered they are by the people. All the wonderful things they accomplish by God's grace during their tenure does not matter. When God says it's time to go, it's time to go. Think about pastors Bill Hybels. James McDonald, Charles Jenkins. Despite their incredible achievements and success in ministry, there came a point in time when God says, that's enough. It's time to go. Now watch this. The only response Moses had was a prayer for God to replace him with another man to lead the people. You see that in verses 15 to 17? Moses wasn't wasting his time whining and licking his wounds, talking about, woe is me! He was already focused on praying to God, asking him to look out for the sheep. Make sure, oh Lord, you raise up another shepherd for your flock. Now it's important to note that God removes his leaders for various reasons. It's not just about discipline disobedience or sin. Sometimes, like Moses and Aaron, it is because of their sin. Other times, it's a matter of age. It's time for an older leader to give up the reins to leadership of someone younger. Fresh blood, as we say. Fresh eyes and ears. Fresh passion and vision. But maybe, sometimes, it is because of sickness or death that prevents a leader from continuing. And then sometimes, as in my case, God re he reassigns his leaders to another church or ministry for that's more suitable for them. Now I pray that I get to see and experience the renewal and the revival that we've all been praying for for so long here at UBC and in our city. God hasn't called us away from UBC, but we know we have a different assignment now. And we're okay with that. See, God is like a divine coach on the sideline, not only calling plays, but also moving members of his team on and off the field. Or putting them in a different position, depending on how the game is shaping up for the win. God is like a divine chess master moving his pieces in strategic positions for the eventual checkmate 
of his opponent. And guess what? You and I are the chess pieces. You and I are the players on his team. And he sovereignly decides who gets to play, what positions we get to play, and how effective we're going to be. Third lesson. The Lord God will always raise up other leaders to lead his people. Look at verses 18 and 19. God instructed Moses to take Joshua and to promote him as the new leader of Israel. Sometimes we, we hear people say of superstar athletes or noble politicians or corporate leaders or pastors, this person is irreplaceable. This person is an indispensable part of this team or organization. Not so in the church. All of us are dispensable. Each and every one of us can be and will be replaced at some time if the Lord tarries. We will either get sick and die, or God will find some other creative way to reassign us to another team on His mission for His glory. We are all dispensable. Deal with it. None of us, including me, is so special that God can't replace us with somebody else to do a better job. Nobody. Even our Lord Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, told His disciples in the last moments that He was with them that they would not only replace Him, but also do greater things than He did. Picture that. Sounds scandalous, doesn't it? Jesus was humble enough to recognize that if God is in us, we can do great things. Even greater things than Jesus did. So let's not get it twisted in our heads that we are indispensable. Now that is not to say we should not respect our leaders and honor them and thank God for how He used them and accomplished whatever they did for the kingdom. But it is arrogant and prideful to suggest that anyone is irreplaceable. The Lord God will always, always, always raise up new leaders to lead His people. Lesson number four. The Lord indwells and empowers His leaders. That's why we can rest assured and feel secure during this leadership transition and any leadership transition. Because we know that when God sends us a leader, He is sending us one who is indwelt and empowered by His Spirit. Look at verse 18. God says to Moses, Take Joshua, a man in whom is what? The Spirit. A man who is, in whom is the Spirit. Listen, our pastoral transition team understands the importance of looking for, identifying, finding a man who is anointed. One who is full of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God will bring us such a man, and when He does, here's what we're supposed to do. Ready? Pay attention. Somebody sleeping next to you, elbow up. When God finds our new senior pastor, here's what all of us are supposed to do. Follow him. Amen. 
Follow him as he follows Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said to those that he was leading, those that looked to him for leadership. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's why we can rest assured and feel secure during any leadership transition. Follow your new leaders. Love him. Love his family. Pray for him. Support him. And humbly follow him. And that's the final point I want to make. God's leaders are under authority. That's why we can follow them and trust them. Because they themselves are under authority. We are under authority. We exercise authority. And we confer authority to others. Look at the word in verses 18 to 23. God told Moses to stand Joshua before the priest and to the entire Israeli community and lay hands on him and commission him in their presence. Four times we find that God thought it important that Moses conferred some of his authority to Joshua by the laying on of hands. And that's where we get the tradition, by the way, of ordination. But don't miss this because four times, four times we find God repeated that Joshua is to be anointed, commissioned, ordained before the priest and, get this, this is important, and the entire community in Israel. Do you see that? We find that instruction in verses 19, 20, 21, and 22, four times. Verse 19, lay hands on him before the whole assembly. Verse 20, give him some of your authority, Moses, so that the whole, the whole Israelite community will obey him. Presumably just as they obeyed you, Moses, now that they, he will have your authority, they must obey him as they obeyed you. Verse 21, as Joshua command, Joshua's command, the entire, or at Joshua's command, the entire community of Israelites will go out and come in whether to war or whatever the mission is that the leader calls them to serve. Verse 21. Then verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and Joshua stood before the priest and the whole assembly. Why is that important? Because the leader is responsible for leading the whole assembly, the whole community. Leadership transition is natural and normal, but it's also a big deal because there is a transfer of power and authority. That's important because the people being led must learn to accept and embrace the new leader who has been invested with power and authority to lead them. And that's important because the people being led have the mission to fulfill and the new leader needs the people to fulfill the mission, but the people also need the new leader to help lead them to fulfill the mission. So both are necessary. Both leaders and followers play a significant role in accomplishing the mission given to us by God. It's always about the mission and not so much about us as leaders and followers. Though God uses both leaders and followers to do His will in accomplishing His mission. But sometimes, too often times, 
During times of transition, we tend to make it more about us as leaders or followers and less about the mission. Listen, Moses was so revered. He was so super respected. Even to this day, if you go to Israel and you ask any Israeli on the street or any Arab or Jew, I mean, or Palestinian, they're going to tell you, if you ask them, who was the greatest leader in Islam or in Israel? Judaism. Moses is going to be on that list. Abraham is going to be on that list. Of the top two or three. Moses was so revered, so super respected. So revered was Moses among the people that God decided to bury his body secretly by himself. Did you know that? To this day, nobody knows where the tomb of Moses is. And if they did, I guarantee there would be a shrine there. If the Israelites knew where Moses was buried, they may not have been able to focus and fight all the battles they needed to fight to take control of the promised land. The mission may have been aborted because of their fascination and love affair with Moses, their great leader and emancipator. But instead, instead, they may have been fighting among themselves over which, which Jewish tribe gets the custody of Moses' body for his burial site. But God said, I'm none of that foolishness. I'm going to take his body and bury myself. Y'all don't even know where he's buried. But God knew it wasn't about Moses. It was about the mission. It was about, it wasn't about the people, it was about the mission. Oh, God would use both Moses and the people for the mission, but the mission is larger than them both. What is that mission? That out of Israel, from the tribe of Judah would come the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but also of the whole world. God's leaders are under authority, we exercise authority, and we confer authority. We are authorized and deputized, authorized to deputize other pastors, elders, and deacons to carry out the leadership and the followership responsibilities related to the mission. In a few weeks, Lord willing, we will lay hands on our interim pastor and commission him before the Lord and our entire UBC community. You're not going to want to miss that service. And you'll want to be sure to bless him and to pray for him and his family and to encourage him and support him and to follow him. Look at Deuteronomy 1.38. Close with this. But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel inherited. As followers and leaders, we must encourage our new interim pastor and the new senior pastor when he comes. God has so much work for us to do. And our encouragement and unified spirit will be a source of strength and courage for that new leader. How many know it takes courage to lead? 
And God gives courage to leaders, oftentimes through those who follow. Your good followership encourages the leadership. And so be a good follower. Learn what it means to be a good follower. God has much work for us to do. And our encouragement, our unified spirit will be a source of strength and courage for our new leader. So listen to what Moses said to Joshua before the people, Deuteronomy 31, 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all Israel, again, notice the importance of this being, this happening, this transition happening before God, before uh, the, the leadership, and before the followership. Moses summoned Joshua, said to him, in the presence of all Israel, he said these words to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. May God help us learn and apply these lessons in our season of transition. Let's stand as we pray. Every head bowed, every eye is closed. This is God's time to receive worship in our response to his revealed word and will for us.
walk obediently before you, holy reverence before you, to be good followers, good leaders, according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.